You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10am on October 15, 2023, presented by Rev. Len Pierce. As sons. And because you are sons, God has sent you forth, sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have laboured for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You are not injured you have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial which was in my flesh you did not despise or reject but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labour in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, let's pray again as we return to God's Word. Lord, we are coming to your Word again. We pray you'd give us understanding of your Word. We pray you'd help us to see, to perceive, and then to apply your Word to our lives. Not to be hearers only, Lord, but to be doers of your Word to have your word applied to our lives. So, Lord, watch over us now and uh, be with me as I speak the words that come. We ask it, Lord, for your name's sake again, for your own glory and praise, to draw all people to yourself. We ask in your name. Amen. Now, Paul, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, said these words, My little children, for whom I labour in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. My little children, for whom I labour in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. And what Paul the Apostle says here has to be made effective in your life and in mine. 
There's no other Christian life than this one recorded here in Galatians. If we have a wound, we take the ointment out of the tube and we apply it to the place of the wound for a measure of healing to take place. If we have food on our plates, we have to eat the food to make it effective in our bodies. If we need petrol for our car, we have to take it out of the bowser and put it in our tank to do its job. It's no good writing a letter on our computers and leaving it there without hitting the send button to make it effective. It's no good having a beautiful dress or a nice woolen suit if you don't actually wear it and use it, you have to act and put it on. And as we all know, it's no good walking around with our eyes shut. We have to open them for the eyes to be effective. And there are examples of this without limit in our lives. Life experiences have to be applied to our lives to make them effective. And it's no different with God's salvation. It's only some help to look back 2,000 years to the cross of Calvary and say, yes, I believe that. That's part of the completed salvation, but it's not all, all that salvation is. It's in, in effect, it's useless in itself just to look back to the cross and say, I believe. It doesn't really progress us anyhow. It's in effect just the operation of your brain gives you no vital connection. There must be a, a vital connection back between you and the cross and the resurrection for salvation to be effective. So how do we connect from where we are now back 2,000 years? How does what happened there become effective in your life and mine? You and I are separated from the place of Calvary by 13,707 kilometres between the centre of Melbourne and the outskirts of Jerusalem. You can go as a tourist. It might inspire you and encourage you to go, but it doesn't save you to even be there because you're also, and I'm also, separated from that place and event by 2,000 years of time. Time becomes our enemy. So how does what happened on Calvary's Hill become effective for you and become effective for me? You can't reach back. Only God can connect us to the cross. Only God can make the cross and resurrection effective in your life and mine. He, we read in, in, in um, Hebrews, he, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, without spot to God. So the eternal spirit, the spirit of God, was present at the cross. He offered himself on the cross through the spirit. And he was present and he is the one who carries all the benefits of the cross and the resurrection right across the centuries to where we sit today. So he must apply the cross. He must do something within us to make the cross and the resurrection effective in our lives. We repent, 
we change our minds, we say we believe from our side, then God brings the benefits to us. It was 60 years last January when the Spirit of Christ, his eternal spirit, entered me. And I remember the day and I remember the moments dramatically in my life. Because the Bible says that moment when you come to know Christ means Christ comes to live in you. I was washed in the blood of the Lamb. I was cleansed. I was made a new creature. My, my brain was engaged to repent and believe, but on God's side, he brought the spirit and the cross and the benefits of the cross to me in my life. I was saved by the cross. I was vitally connected back those 2,000 years when the eternal spirit carried all the benefits to my soul. And this event for us all is the greatest event in the whole universe after the death and resurrection of Christ for any one of us. The application of salvation, the effectiveness of what happened at Calvary is Christ in you. That's why Paul in Galatians said, my little children for whom I labour again like a woman in childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Other translations say, for whom I travel in birth, for whom I go through labour pains, for whom I'm again in labour, like a mother in the pain of childbirth or in the pains of childbirth. And only a mother who has actually given birth can know what that really means. Paul seemed to have some idea. Somehow or other he got an idea from observation from listening, from even being present, maybe. He could see what childbirth actually meant. So he transferred what he knew as much as he could as a man. He transferred it into his spiritual experience, which he had continually for the believers at Galatia. Because this is the heart of every true pastor's prayer and his ministry to the flock. Because Christ formed in you is the beginning of the Christian life, it's the ongoing Christian life, it's the end of the Christian life. Without Christ formed in you, we don't have any Christian life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's it. That's the Christian life. Christ living in me, Christ living in you. The most important thing in the whole of our lives, even if we were to gain the whole world, what does it profit us to lose our own soul? The only way we can not lose our own soul is to have Christ living in us, applying what happened on Calvary to our lives, making it real, making it effective, and as the Bible says, actually saving us for all eternity. Romans 8 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. If you and I don't have the spirit of Christ within us, we don't belong to Christ. We're not saved. We're lost. But if Christ is in you, 
Romans 8 says, if Christ is in you, the spirit is life. But Christ must be in you. The virgins, when they came without oil in their lamps, said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And the Lord said, assuredly, I do not know you. They had no oil in their lamps. There are some religious people in Luke who came to Jesus and said, Lord, we've done many mighty works in your name. We've proclaimed your name. We've worked for you. And the Lord said, depart from me. I do not know you. So it's not what we do that counts. It's what he does in our lives that is so important. An average uh, period of attendance for a, for a person in the church through a lifetime is probably about 2,500 times. I worked it out the other day. I think I've been in church around 3,000 times so far, so far in my lifetime. It's all useless unless Christ is in me. Church attendance, a lifetime of mission, a life of prayer and Bible study, ordination as a minister of the gospel, all is useless unless Christ is in me. That's so important, without which there's no life, no salvation. Nothing can deal with that, my sin apart from the cross. An entry to heaven depends on us being in a state of perfection. There's no way we can be perfect except through the cross. Only through the cross have our sins been removed from us as far as the east is from the west, the Bible tells us. It must be applied to our lives. John Wesley, the great evangelist, he worked as a missionary in America, in the American colonies, for many years and didn't realise he wasn't a Christian. It was only when he got back to England and went into that meeting in the Moravian church and heard the gospel, he said his heart was strangely warmed as Christ came into his life and he was saved. Before that he'd laboured, but he wasn't even a believer and didn't realise it. This experience for us began to happen in reality when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and all that large number came to believe. That's where they were born from God for the first time, when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And the Spirit was not just an influence on their lives. It was a person, the person of Christ, the person of the Spirit of Christ coming to live within the people who responded. Paul himself was converted in the house of Judas in the street called Straight inside Damascus. That's where he came to know God. Ananias said to him, Arise, Paul, be baptised, wash away your sins, calling on his name. On the Damascus road, it was like running into a brick wall for him. He was stunned. He was broken. He was puzzled. He prayed. He fasted. He didn't know. Basically, he didn't know what had happened to him, except he knew Christ had spoken to him. But when he got into Damascus and Ananias ministered to him, that's where he came to know Christ, really. He says that in Galatians chapter 1. He says, When it pleased God, 
to reveal his son in me. He doesn't say to me, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. That's when he became a Christian. That's where he started to really believe when Christ was revealed in him. So the gospel we carry and the gospel we preach accomplishes the most amazing event for us human beings. That the God in the person of Christ, the God who created the universe, actually lives in the believer. What an amazing work. Little you and little me, we are indwelt by Christ in his person. Just, just think about that. How incredible is that? How wonderful is that? How amazing it is. We should jump out of bed every morning and say, Lord, here I am. You live in me. I'm yours. I belong to you only because of what you've done in my life. It's quite stupendous, really. The greatest work in the whole universe going on at the moment should be a cause of never-ending wonder. That's why the least of us in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is greater than John the Baptist. He said, there's no one born among men who is greater than John the Baptist. Yet the very least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Because the very least of us in the kingdom of God is indwelt by Christ. John the Baptist never had that experience because Christ was with him. He was in the world. He walked around. But now he's in every believer. And that's what makes us great in the eyes of God. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were incidental operations of the Spirit on the prophets and the priests and the soldiers and the leaders. And enough of the Spirit to save believers. But under the new covenant, it is Christ in the believer, not incidentally, but permanently, onwardly, always in our lives. And that's it. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, lives in you and lives in me. What sort of people ought we to be? Really, when you think about it, what sort of people ought we to be if Christ lives in us? Not just an influence, but the very person of the second person of the Trinity lives in you and me. Just think about it. What, what should we be? What should we be doing? How should we be transformed? It's just an amazing thing. The Spirit lives within us. Hear the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 15, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. In his prayer to the Father, he said, I in them, and you in me. Also in the same prayer, he prayed to the Father, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. He said it's to our advantage that he goes away. And of course, that was because he would come again, sent forth from heaven by his spirit into the lives of his people, meaning that Christ lives in us, starting at Pentecost. This could never happen while Christ was walking on the earth. 
In Galatians 2, as we've mentioned already, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's like our lives have been exchanged. Our life surrendered to him, his life given to us. A kind of exchange that takes place. In Colossians, he says, The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Ephesians, Strengthen with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 2 Corinthians 4, it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 13, he pleads with the Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Qualified or disqualified depends on whether or not Christ lives in you. That's the only test. So there's two important points, friends. Without Christ in you, you have to say, I'm not a Christian. That's very serious. It sounds hard, but it's the truth. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. It's the test of whether or not you're really saved. And then to say to you, no person can live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life. You can't live the, live the Christian life. The standard is far above anything we can accomplish. It's impossible. Only Christ can live the Christian life. Only Christ in you and in me can live this Christian life. That's why Paul laboured like a woman in childbirth, he said, until Christ is formed in you. That's why. So that's the big question from this morning. Does Christ live in you? There's no more important question. It's the difference between being lost forever in the most horrible hell, separated from God forever, or being with him in glory of heaven forever. Christ in you means having saving faith. Not the faith of demons or the faith created by a church or some religious experience, which is useless to save you. You must know Christ and that means he lives in you. That's the most stupendous fact in the whole universe. So, friends, we're called to examine ourselves. It's absolute folly to think we can have another chance after we die. I was very sad to hear one day about Fred Hollows, a great man. He was asked near the end before he died, did he believe in God? He said, I don't know if there's a God. But if I find out after I die that there is a God, I'm going to negotiate with him. That's what he said. Hopefully he came to faith. We don't know. But there's no negotiating after we die. It's here and now that we have to pass the test. So we need to give ourselves a checkup. Make sure and be sure.
so that every morning we can wake up and say, Lord, you live in me. Have all of me again today and every hour of the day. I count myself dead and Christ lives in me. My little children, for whom I labour in birth, like in childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful salvation, what a mighty work, what a price you paid to save us. Please, Lord, make sure each one of us here today is saved. Help us to examine ourselves, as Paul said, to examine ourselves if we be in the faith. And the test is, is Christ in me or not? And Lord, when you do live in us, what sort of people we ought to be? So we come to you again. We surrender our lives. We surrender all we have and all we are. Lord, it all belongs to you anyway. We bring everything to you. All our loved ones we bring to you. Those who are not saved, Lord, open their hearts to believe. And just take us and use us in whatever time remains, Lord. The time may be short. The time may be long. But we just long to live for you and with your power within us, the mighty presence of Christ in our lives. And all this we ask as we commit ourselves to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. More messages of hope at essendonpresbyterianchurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.